Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and as a family, we seek to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our community. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's scripture reading is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, But this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, for I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When he saw the child, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, They return to their country by another route. Amen. Amen. I think I'm on this one. Am I I on the right? This one? No? I never know which one. I'll do this one. Let's go like that. There we go. All right. I agree with Sophie. Merry Christmas. And and as uh, Graham said earlier, thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for being flexible with with Mass. We've tried our best over the course of this pandemic to provide uh, space for everybody. Um, If you're wondering specifically, like, well, well, I thought the Mass mandate in New York City, uh, in New York, was for for everybody. There actually are caveats for film production places, where if you're producing films, the actors, the people up um, that are, you know, they don't have to wear masks. And so, we're live streaming today, so we do not have to mask up, up here. There is an exception for us that's, that is uh, going on. So anyway, um, thank you, live stream. Thanks, thanks, thank you for those of you who are watching us um, for allowing us to be up here. And, and thank you again for all of you. We, this has been, there's been so many ups and downs and twists and turns to this. Uh, we've tried our best to make the best decision, although I know there's always people on one side of the issue or the other that, that gets frustrated. Um, but we're doing this collectively. We're doing this as a family, and we really appreciate you for um, being with us and, and doing this collectively uh, together. Now, today is the last day of Advent. It is the, the Sunday before Christmas. And what we've been doing now for weeks is we've been trying to talk about what Advent really means. And Advent means this. It means waiting with expectation 
for the coming king. And we've tried to say, what does that look like? And, I, and if you're new, if you're not a Christian, or even if you are a Christian, you're probably still wondering, okay, that's great, but what exactly should we be expecting? There are so many different versions of Christianity that are floating around out there. There's so many different opinions and, and hot takes, and it's really this, it's really that. What should we be thinking here about what Christianity is really about? Well, the best way that I know to figure this out, to get through all the clutter, it's to go straight to the original source. And so we need to go to the book of Matthew and figure out what actually we should be expecting. And I think it's what we should expect. Three things. We should expect Jesus is a gift for a dark world. Jesus is a gift for a divided world. And Jesus is a gift deserving of your worth. I'll say that again. Jesus is a gift for a dark world. Jesus is a gift for a divided world. And Jesus is a gift for uh, you, worthy of, of your worth, deserving of your worth. Okay, first, Jesus is a gift to a dark world. Um, this past week, I, I, I Googled, I looked up what most Americans think Christmas really is about. And let me just give you some of the top uh, comments of, of, and responses. When Americans were asked, what's Christmas about? They said, and they listed, one, it's, it's, a time for, uh, it's a time for family. Two, it's a time to show gratitude and love. Three, it's, it's about sharing and, and caring and, and being happy with peace and light and, and joy. And those are, those are what Christmas is about. But what's interesting is nowhere near the top responses, and I think any response, did anybody list what Christmas is about regarding the original context that Christmas started in, the first Christmas. Nobody really taught references or associates Christmas today with what Christmas was like then. So go back into our text here at Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12 and following if you go past verse 12, what you'll find is Jesus with his mom and his dad, they're on the run out of the, pl the place where they're from to Egypt. And the reason why is because the king of the land here was slaughtering firstborn babies. Now, why was he slaughtering firstborn babies? Well, actually, um, this is a larger question about kings and queens. If you look at all kings and queens throughout all of history, they tend to kill... <laughs> people who threaten their throne. In fact, uh, it's, it's pretty well known and common that kings and queens will even kill their own family members if they thought that those individuals might threaten the kingdom. And they would justify it by saying, hey, this is what's good for the kingdom, is to kill individuals who are threats. And so the, uh, Jesus was considered a threat because of the prophecy predicting him to be the, the one and future king uh, coming from Bethlehem. And so if you want to get back to the real context of the first Christmas, what, what nobody talks about is it was a time of genocide. It was a time of fear and hurt and pain and death and rage. You're all like, Michael, Merry Christmas to you too. <laughs> like, why are you bringing this up now? Why, why, why are you reminding about this? And I'm, I'm trying to remind you about this because... I think this is an important aspect about Christmas that we don't talk about enough. That clearly Matthew, he's reminding us that Christmas enters into creation when things are dark. That Christmas comes into fruition when things are the worst. 
And therefore, in some respect, we don't just need to—you don't need Jesus if things are all great and wonderful and hunky-dory and whatnot. No, you need Jesus when we see a world that's not okay. We need Jesus when we see the powerful like Herod using his power to stay in power. We need Jesus when, when, when the world is hard. In fact, I would argue there's no—in uh, the, in the, the timeline of human history— there's no blip where all of a sudden all of humanity was doing everything okay. There was always at some level some problem going on somewhere. And so instead we have a long list of exploitation and hurt and pain and a dark world. And if we just did a little bit of introspection into our own lives and our own backgrounds or just the backgrounds of our family members or friends or just our, our fellow neighbors, Americans, the, our, the human world— and we would see that Christmas needs Jesus entering the world, a dark world, to do something about it. In the uh, Lord of the Rings, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a series of books. It's a very long one book or multiple books, depending on how you want to uh, piece it up. But you find the protagonists in Lord of the Rings, they're always on the run. There's always something dark. There's always something bad happening. There's orcs and evil bad guys. And they're often looking like they're in full despair. But this is what Sam says. He says, at one point, when it looks like there was never going to be hope again, he says this. He says, he looked up to the sky, and there, peeping among the cloud rack, above a dark tour, high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star, and the beauty smote his heart. And hope returned to him, for like a shaft clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing, that there was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. I bring that up because I'm asking you, and I think what the text is asking you is, is where's your darkness? Where do you need light? Because there's not enough light. And we need to see that Jesus is that light into the world. And he has the power to do something to destroy that darkness. He's that gift that you didn't know that you need. He's that gift to a dark world, number one. Number two, he's also a gift to a divided world. Go back to the first verse here, and what we see, it says Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And during that time, King Herod, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And I don't know if we've done this before, but we need to do a deep dive. Who are the Magi? I'll tell you what they're not. The Magi were not just kings. They were not wise men. There was not just three of them. In fact, if you, I know that's what tradition tells you, but if you look in the, in the Bible, there's no designation uh, of, of there's only, there was only three of them. In fact, most scholars believe that the Magi traveled in caravans, about 50 to 100 of them, which is why they even got a hearing with with. King Herod in the first place, because if there was just a, f- a few nomads traveling around, there's no big deal. But when there's a caravan of 50 to 100 uh, individuals that were considered f- powerful advisors to the Persian and Babylonian empires, individuals that known to study the stars and deal with the supernatural, uh, and they've come to Jerusalem over about a thousand miles, which would have taken months and years to get there. Now King Herod wants to know. Why are you here? You know, what made you travel a thousand miles? Why, 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 are, why are so many of you showing up on my doorstep? And of course, in verse 2, they tell him right away. They said, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? That's verse 2. 
small problem. Uh, King Herod had that title already. King Herod felt like he was king of the Jews, right? That was his name. And which is why it says here that he was troubled. In verse 3, it says disturbed. And so he calls together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And, of course, he's like, okay, what's going on here? And they tell him. They said, oh, it's, it, it is written. And they, they point to Micah. They quote, uh, this is a quote from the text. That's why it's, um, it's, it's designated that way in verse 6. This is Micah 5 that says the Messiah is going to come from uh, Bethlehem. And they said, of course, that's what's going on here. And, of course, then Herod tells them, okay, hey, Magi, it's going to happen in Bethlehem. Go there. Tell me. Uh, you know, when you find out who this person is, tell me about it. And that's the Christmas story you know. But there's something that actually, if you just, if you just read it like that, you're probably missing something because the original listeners of this text would have been slapped with, with just this um, uh, um, story. And the reason they would have been slapped is because they would have been flabbergasted. They would have been perplexed. Why were the magi asking for the Messiah, but not the priests and the Jews. That's what, that, that, what would have been messing with their heads is, shouldn't the very people looking for the Messiah, the people who have known about the Messiah? Because every original reader of this text was Jewish. So why were the non-Jews, who didn't have the sacred text, who didn't know anything about the Messiah, why were they seeking the Messiah and the people who had known about it for hundreds and hundreds of years, why weren't they? In other words, why were the Magi going down to Bethlehem, and why weren't the priests going down to Bethlehem? Now, if you want to get all cute, you can say, well, the Magi had a star. Right there, the star was leading them. And if, that just pushes the question down a little bit further, right? Why was God leading the Magi with a star and sending them a star? Why was he choosing to reveal... The Messiah to foreigner, non-chosen, racial, and religious outsiders. And I could only come up with two reasons why this would be possible. Let me give you those two reasons. First, I believe it's because the people who should have cared didn't. The people who should have been the most excited and, and, and seeking were not. And so I think in some ways what Matthew's trying to say is it's possible to be too familiar with a story. It's possible to be too familiar with the story of Christmas. Look at verse 5, right? They said, hey, this is what the prophet has written. They knew this is what the Bible said. And yet, they didn't have the faintest curiosity to go and see for themselves. In other words, in some ways, if Christmas doesn't move you today, maybe you're too familiar with it. Maybe, uh, like these priests, you have an intellectual concept of Christmas, but it hasn't moved you personally or experientially, which then makes you, you should wonder, then, do you really understand Christmas? Because if you're apathetic about Christmas, you're probably missing Christmas. Christianity isn't just knowing, if, whatever you hear from me today, don't hear me say, if you just know the story of Christmas, you'll be okay. No, these people knew the story, and they were not Okay. That it had to be active and real in their life to motivate them and move them. Because the story of Christmas is only Christmas if you realize it is God with us. It is God for us. It is God who's come towards us. And the question is, are we going to start making our travels to go towards him? Will you travel a thousand miles to see him? Will you travel two thousand miles to see him today? 
Will you travel? It took them months and years to go and find Jesus. Would you be willing to run and go for months and years to see Jesus? Because if you just know about the story and you're not moved by the story, you don't get the story. At LSQ, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service each week. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and church leaders. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq@redeemer.com or join us for worship on Sunday. You can find out more details on our website by visiting lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash worship. Now, let's get back to this week's episode. I think it's the first thing that's, that's shown here. Now, the second reason I think these outsider, pagan, non-believers are here is because that's actually what always happens in Christianity. Christianity, over and over and over again in the Bible, it's always the outsider and not the insider. It's always the person who shouldn't be there who's actually there. It's always the one who you least expect gets it, gets it. Because Jesus is bringing something that crosses racial and ethnic barriers that no other religion and no other philosophy or non-religion can do. I actually just read a a recent study that shows that uh, Pentecostal churches are actually the single most multi-ethnic organizations on the planet. That uh, the study points out that more than any other institution in the world, racially, economically, socially, they're the most diverse uh, institution, organization on the planet. And the reason why is because Christianity has been shown to be the only major religion and worldview that has spread worldwide beyond its geographic origin. Every other religion and non-religion, including even atheism, I define atheism as a, it is a worldview that says there is no God. Well, where did that start? 20th century continental philosophy started <laughs> in Western Europe. And it generally is still in Western uh, uh, spaces. It hasn't moved out of its place of origin. Just like Hinduism hasn't moved mostly out of India, and Islam has not moved mostly out of the Middle East and the surrounding territories. Now, I actually pointed this, this point out a couple months ago, and during our question response time that we do sometimes after service, somebody asked a question. They said, well, didn't Christianity just spread because of colonization? Isn't that the only reason? Don't don't we all know that? And it's actually a good question. But you have to look at the evidence. If you, you have to look at, for instance, why then did Christianity only explode and spread in China when missionaries were kicked out? Today we have, there's hundreds of millions of Christians in China without missionaries. So it doesn't fit the narrative. What else doesn't fit the narrative is the countless uh, um, reports that we have when missionaries did go along with, with colonizers, they were, after, they were often at odds with each other about the indigenous people, about how to treat them and how to love them and how to care for them. Also, I mean, just look at Africa. So if you want a small, thin, thin book on this, uh, a seminary professor, Dr. Lame Sane, wrote a book called Whose Christianity Is It Anyway? And he points out in Africa, in 1900, there was 9 million uh, Christians in Africa. And 100 years later, in 2000, 380 million 
Christians in Africa. That's a, that's a change from 8% to over 60%, and, and the percentages are still increasing. And this is what he says. He says in this little book, he says, actually, atheism, which says there's no spiritual world, there's no world of light and darkness, there's no world beyond this world, atheism shows up, and is, it's actually anti-African. It doesn't allow Africans to be African. He argues that actually Christianity didn't make Africans Western. It kept them Africans, whereas atheism tries to make Africans Western because then you have to drop all your cultural particularities to accept and adopt this, this, uh, this view. So he, would actually, he actually argues that atheism is a, is a colonizing thought that tries to come in and wipe away the cultural particularities of Africans. Christianity, though, at the core, what's the core of Christianity? It's a man who dies for his enemies, who puts other people at the center of their life, who incarnates. The story of Christmas is God saying, I am going to translate and be with you and for you and around you. It's a man who comes and lives among us and is part of our people. And that is why, and this is what Lama Science says, that is why Christianity spread and has been able to spread to every culture because Jesus comes to and for the nations. The very fact the Magi are here in our text, at the very beginning of the Christmas story, it's a sign that say Gentiles are welcome, the outsiders are welcome, right? Whoever is, is socially outside can be inside. That means you can be in. That is, that is a profound thought. No other view, every view has like this, the boundaries are in and out. Christianity says, you can be in this. And therefore, Jesus is a gift to a divided world. He is a, he is a gift to uh, uh, bringing the nations to him. But being born a baby, living and being among us, he is unifying the strong and the weak, the inside and the outsider, the, the good and the bad. No other religion or non-religion can bring people together like Christianity can. In fact, uh, there's a, I grew up here in New York City. People who say, I think, I think you shouldn't convert people. It's actually bad. Why, why would you convert people to your faith? When somebody says that, this is what you need to say in your head. You need to say, oh, you're just trying to convert me to your view not to convert people. There's no way to get around that thought. That thought is actually based off of a very Western secular idea. It's a colonizing idea. It's trying to convert you to things. There's no such thing as a neutral thought. Every thought is try- in the world of, of thoughts is trying to say which one makes sense of the world the best. But Christianity is different. If you go to Acts 2, what you have in Pentecost, why did everybody, why could everybody hear the first sermon by Peter in their own language? It was a way to say the Tower of Babel where everybody, it was, it was a curse brought on to the people because they were actually misusing and exploiting and manipulating each other. It was beginning to reverse. It was beginning to be the light coming into the darkness. Because Christmas means the fallen world is beginning to be put back together again. Allowing people to be in their distinctive cultures and, and, and languages. But actually still together and united. We need that now more than ever. I think I don't need to make that argument anymore (laughs) because Jesus is not just a gift to a dark world. He is a gift to a divided world. Now, lastly, Jesus is a gift deserving of your worth. What do I mean by that? Go back to our text. Do you remember the the Magi had just traveled a thousand miles? 
they show up to Jesus. They find this baby, right? He sent them. This is verse 8. He sends them. As soon as you find them, they get there. Look what verse 10 says. When they saw, when they get there, they were overjoyed. This is actually a, a terrible translation, this, this, little, this little section. If you read it in the ESV, it says that when they saw the star, uh, they, were, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And that's better. But in the, in the Greek, uh, it is even more extreme. The modifiers of joy expressed here. If you just want to go with just pure, um, uh, you know, empirical data, there, there are more modifiers of joy here than anywhere else in the New Testament. Which means, it, literally, this is probably the happiest moment in the entire Bible is happening in this moment. That to, to say that one rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, they're literally jumping up and down. And again, it's really hard to conceive of ancient patriarchal, uh, ancient Near East uh, men. And what are they doing? They're jumping up and down. I, I, I'm trying to, let me try to translate this. I watched uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, those online videos that um, uh, were somebody's father, and this particular one, somebody's father shows up after being on tour for five years. They've been away. They've been in the army. And he's picking his daughter up from school. The daughter doesn't know. She's coming out of the school building. She's carrying her phone and her food. And she sees her father for the first time in, in five years. And she just drops everything and runs and screams and grabs onto him. And I, I, I cry every time. I'm a blubbering mess. Uh, and it's, it, 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 it doesn't matter which one it is. I've seen the videos where it's like a, it's a mother, it's a, it's, a, it's a brother, it's a, you know, um, a sister comes back. And the joy on the faces of the individuals that interact with, with this long-lost love, it, it melts your heart every time because you're like, that's it. That's that joy. That's what, that, that, that's what you see. And I, go, and I go, wait a second. If Jesus is here, if the king has come, you want to know what, you, what the expectation and waiting expectation is supposed to look like? It's that. It's when was the last time we've dropped our food and our phone and ran to him and and jumped on him and, and was so excited that he was in our presence? That's the question. When was the last time we enjoyed him like that? When was the last time that we cared less that Christmas was about presents because he was the present? When, when was the last time that you couldn't hold it together, you were so overwhelmed to be in his presence? That's the kind of joy that's being expressed here. It's an overwhelmed type of joy. If outsiders, people who had no idea what Jesus really means can be excited for him, how much more can and should Christians be overjoyed? And therefore, if you are a Christian today and, and you aren't, there, it probably means that we need to do some soul digging here. If you don't mind, can I give you a couple ways that you might know if you're really seeing him for who he is? Uh, to end, this is, here's, here's some, some ways to tell. Number one, what are you bringing to him? Again, in our text, it says that they brought, first thing they brought was they brought gold. And all the scholars point this out. Gold uh, wasn't just something pretty to look at. Gold was something that you often brought to kings. This was the Magi's way of, of treating him as a king, bringing something costly. What do we bring to him that's precious to us? Right? Not, not just our hearts, not just our, our words. What material time, talents, and treasures. We talk about that here at LSQ. What are the time, talents, and treasures you're bringing him? 
Is it your, uh, uh, is it your pride? Is it your worries? Is it your doubts? Is it your, your friendships? What gold might you be designating knowing who he is? Number one. Number two, frankincense. For those of you who don't know this, frankincense was actually cultivated from a particular tree. It's actually the bark of a tree that uh, took a long time to scrape and get, and it was something that you would burn, and it was an incense burned particularly in temples. And it was, a, it was therefore a religious practice uh, to, to, to burn frankincense. In other words, what the, what the Magi are doing here, they don't just recognize him as a king. They recognize him as a sacrificial king who sacrifices for us. Will you allow him, here's the question, will you allow him not to be king of your life, but to be the sacrificial king of your life? Will you, some people want him to be your friend, but not a king. Some people want him to be your consultant, but not your king and savior. I guess, I guess what I ask myself this week is, where am I, place, where am I placing my frankincense? What temple am I burning my frankincense? Is it the temple of work? Is it the temple of comfort? Is it the temple of, of control? Like, I, I have to have everything put together? Where's the temple that you're burning your frankincense in? Because the Magi knew where to put theirs. Lastly, myrrh. Fun fact, I don't even know this. Myrrh, uh, today, if you were able to bottle, just a very small bottle of this, in today's dollars, it'd be worth about $10,000. And myrrh took, it was a type of perfume made in, um, in Revelation, there's a town called Smyrna. Smyrna made myrrh. That, that, that's just, that, now you know. Um, and it was a kind of, of, of perfume particularly used to embalm dead bodies. Which then, of course, the question you should ask is, why would you bring dead people perfume to a baby shower? Because <laughs> that's exactly what they're doing here. Why would you do that? Somehow, I don't, somehow they knew that Jesus wasn't just a king, and he wasn't just a sacrificial king. He was a sacrificial savior king who would save by dying to bring life through death. And we don't have time to do this today, but you have to wonder. I wonder, why doesn't, if Jesus is God and he could just snap his fingers and fix all the pain and brokenness of this world, why doesn't he do that? He could do that. He's God. But he's not just a loving God. He's a just God. And ju- justice demands payment. Or else it's not really just. And Jesus, the only way that Jesus could, could be just to pay for the brokenness that the world has, that you've caused, that the world's caused on you, the only way is for him to have paid for it himself. And he makes that payment. And if he does, when you realize that, for you, the value that you are to him, when that hits your heart, that he gave himself up for you, that brings infinite hope. In, because you have infinite worth, because you have infinite value, and if he cares for you like that, who cares if, if you're not getting the care that you need in this world? Who cares if you got slighted today? Who cares if you didn't get what you deserved? Who cares if, uh, if you're not seen by the people that you want to be seen by? You're seen by him. You're loved by him infinitely, forever, for all time. In the book of of Matthew, Jesus, this title, King of the Jews, that we read here, it doesn't show up again until the very end of the book when it's put over his head. The title, King of the Jews, was put over his head on the cross because he loves you that much. He died for you because he's your sacrificial Savior 
king. And if so, this Christmas, what I would love for us to ask is where's our joy exceedingly being expressed? Where are, are we experientially, not just intellectually, living out the Christmas message with glee and hope and wonder? Because Christmas is here. He's plunged himself into our darkness. That's why there's light. That means hope for those who believe in him. And no matter how far that you feel from him right now, you have access to him. Whether you're, No matter what your past record is, your present record is, he's arrived And Christmas means that. Let's respond with joy. Let's respond with our gold, our precious uh, materials, our frankincense, and our myrrh. Holy Spirit, truth divine, dawn upon this soul of mine. Word of God and inward light, wake my spirit, clear my sight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this Christmas uh, is not, it's not normal, and maybe that's a good thing. I pray that it moves us into the real meaning of it. You are a gift into a dark world, Father, an insecure world, a world that's always up and down, left and right. Father, I, I, it's, there's uncertainty uh, this pandemic has created in, in, our, in our hearts and lives, and I pray that we stand on the rock of who you are and your love for us. I pray that you, we see that you are here for a divided world as well, that there is union in you. I pray that we will be part of that healing and restoration this world needs that can only come with the love that you have given us. When you place us at the center of, our, of your heart, It allows us to place others at the center of our hearts. I pray that we will do that now and forever. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.